This week we're going to be talking about how we are contributors to and creators of culture. Um, <clears throat> and I was going to have a video. Unfortunately, I didn't have Stephen Fry in it. Um, no one near as cool as Aleem and think about these things before. I was going to play a beer ad, actually. Um, I, decided, I decided against it, so I'm just going to keep talking. Um, I might describe it a little bit later. Essentially, just to, I think if we're going to talk about how we are to contribute or create culture, it's important if we actually have a definition or a working definition of what culture is. Um, and so I went and looked for that. Um, and what the dictionary told me was that culture is the ideas, customs, uh, and social behaviour of a certain society or, or group of people. And I think while that's fitting in some sense, and what definition is conclusive? Uh, it, it was begging uh, and, and had a little bit more to it. I think to say that, society, uh, sorry, that, that culture is just what we do is irrespective of the fact that culture is how, more how we are or how we be um, together. Sometimes we are conscious or uh, unconscious of, of why we do the things that we do. But essentially, culturally, the culture of something is how we are together and then what we do on the basis of how we are. Does that make sense? And so if you pick out, for example, um, Queensland culture or Australian culture, um, I was going to play this 4X ad where these four or five guys um, escape from the uh, trials and tribulations of working in a cubicle or, you know, doing something for a job. And they go out in the middle of the desert to this utopian place where they can just go fishing and drink tins of Forex gold and do blokey stuff together. And um, in looking at that video, it's telling of maybe a, a part of our culture um, here in, in Australia. And I think to look at it and go, drinking beer and going fishing, that is our culture, isn't really fitting, is it? Those are the things that we do, but, but how we are and, and why we do them is more of the cultural pretext. So we could look at things like... Um, Escapism, wanting to escape from the hard realities of every day, enjoying leisure, um, valuing interpersonal friendships. These could be some of the cultural bedrocks upon which Australians then go and do. Does that make sense? Are you with me on that? So in our engagement and our, our, our participation within that culture, we can contribute to it and affirm it, um, or we can create something new on top of it and adapt it. And this has been part of the human story for as long as it's been a story. Working out how we are together and what we do and how we do it and why we do it um, is just a result of us being conscious um, of one another um, and, and of why we do things. And so the other thing I'll say about culture is that... I'll use a few words here. I'll explain what I mean. So culture is both, from our perception, both pre-rational and post-rational. Now, two different things. So pre-rational are the things that you do without even reasoning it. You just do it. I, I, I don't know why. Um, you know, I, I speak the way that I do. I'm not conscious of that. However, I just do it. You know what I mean? I'm a product of my environment that's, a, that's around me. And so some of the things we do or say, we might not really be conscious why. We might not even really be conscious of how we are. We just do it without thinking. Um, my wife used to pick me up a lot on cutting people off in conversation. I'll just get so passionate about something. I'll just... And I'll just say it. And um, I wasn't conscious of this. This is just how I was. And she picked me up on it. And upon being conscious of it, was then able to change it because it wasn't contributing to, I don't know, me engaging other people as you, know, you would in a social contract where you value everyone. And so I wasn't conscious of that. 
Other parts of our culture are post-rational. And so we can look at them, we can see them, we can critique them, we can have a look at them. So like what I just did to the Forex ad, which was terrible, I'm never going to submit a paper about, you know, Australian culture to the humanities department at university um, on what, what I just said. But, but essentially, they're the things that we can identify, have a look at, poke holes in and say, I really like that, I really don't like that, I can see how this works. I can see how, for example, in Mexican culture, celebrating death with a festival, being conscious of that and then reimagining what life looks like in light of death and now it's not an elephant in a room. You know what I mean? We can, we can look at that and then, and then critique it and engage it and further it. And so I just wanted to make that... Um, like clear early that culture being how we be is not necessarily something that we can always just rationalise with and pick apart and look at, although at times we can. Often it's, some, it's just the way that we are and we can't really question that. Um, oh, sorry, we can if we're aware of it, but when we're not aware of it, we can't. Does, does that make sense or is that a little bit too confusing? All good? Are you with me? Fantastic. Um, the reason I say that it's just so that we're aware of some of those aspects within culture. Um, and within the Christian tradition, we see a God who doesn't just like, create culture. I mean, we do that, and it's a part of human responsibility. We, we, we act in ways with one another. But rather adopts our culture and changes it from within, not necessarily from outside of, you know, metaphysically just posing in and changing things like, oh, I don't like how those Queenslanders drink too much beer. We'll change that and, oh, yep, we'll just that from there. But rather, it gets into our existence, into our flesh, into our experience and creates and contributes to a culture and advocates for what I'm going to call for tonight a culture of love and a culture of redemption, which looks very different in different parts in history. But we can take that and we can use that as our bedrock and be conscious of it, be post-rational in it and go... If this is what we were created to do, then what we do, how we are together, and, and why we do all that should just be a reflection of that. Does, it, does that make sense? Cool. So I'm going to use the parable of the Good Samaritan to start to like tease some of these ideas out. Um, I'll, I'll just read, and then we'll talk about it a little bit more. So the parable of the Good Samaritan, very, very popular. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him into an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. 
Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now, you might be asking, what on earth does that have anything to do with culture? Essentially, Jesus tells a story with symbols and experiences that were not going to be very distant, and characters as well, that were not going to be very foreign to the people who are listening to that story. Anybody in the first century would have understood what a priest and a Levite and a Samaritan, what they were, what they stood for, and how they should have acted within the cultural norms of that day. And for the priest and the Levite, walking past the man in hurt and in need of their help was actually something culturally excusable. The priest and the Levite worked in a temple, and to administer the work of God in said temple, they actually were not allowed to touch or engage with a dead body There was a seven-day cleaning process associated with that, and so they wouldn't have been able to go about their daily duties. So for us, we might hear that and be like, oh, gee, those guys were jerks. But to the people listening to it, as a part of their cultural norms, that would have been, okay, cool. The Samaritan, however, the Samaritans, were a group of people originally sharing the same heritage as the Israelites. However, after they'd been exiled with with Babylon, started to mix with other races, and and in the views of... um, Uh, the Israelites had to dilute the pure blood, dilute the pure religion, dilute the pure relationship that they had with God, that Israel had with God, sorry. And so to the Israelite listening to that, or to the Jew, the Samaritans were like the the, the worst people imaginable. It was extreme racism. Jesus' own disciples begging for him to call down pillars of fire just to wipe out whole villages of them. Crazy, right? I thought I'd just say all of that just so we have a comprehension or a start to comprehend who exactly these characters were in this story and how they have anything to do with Jesus making a comment on culture. Now, Jesus is using cultural norms here in this story so that people listening to it would have sat within that story to be order, or sorry, in order to be transformed by it. So, Jesus' first two characters act pre-rationally the Levite, and the priest. I probably wouldn't have thought twice about it. For them, culturally, normally, it would have been okay to walk past this person hurt, who was broken, who needed them. There are cultural reasons and justifications for them to go ahead and do so. I've got a temple to go to. I've got God's work to go and administer. I can't touch this person. Without even thinking about it. The next guy, the Samaritan, was thinking post-rationally. He would have been very, very, very aware of the cultural, racial and religious tensions between the Samaritans and the Jews of those days. Being conscious of that and being conscious of the cultural strain that that would have put on the situation at hand, the Samaritan still engages with brokenness despite what's culturally normal. He still helps and he still immerses himself into a narrative of redemption and of love of the neighbour, no matter what culture says that looks like. And so in doing so, transforms and contributes to a culture of love and of redemption. 
And this is true of Jesus' whole ministry. Jesus doesn't come in and go, hey, we're just going to you know, divorce ourselves from everything that has been and go create a utopian society out here. Jesus' whole ministry was coming in and experiencing everything that everybody else would have experienced, except Jesus was willing to point out the systemic political and religious and cultural abuse of those who needed it and wasn't willing to overlook that. And so in a way, he was within a culture and transforming it at the same time. Being a Jew isn't a bad thing. Being a priest isn't a bad thing. Being a Levite isn't a bad thing. Being a Samaritan isn't a bad thing. But what's, att- what's attached to all of these and all of these norms and rules and ways of going about each of these different roles within society prevented them from doing the highest call, the highest call, as Jesus puts the commandment above all commandments in which every one of them are fulfilled, and that's to love the neighbor. And so in Jesus, we have this challenging call to go beyond what we're comfortable with, to go beyond whatever role we see ourselves playing, to go beyond whatever identity we see ourselves as having within a society, if it overlooks brokenness. Redemption does not overlook brokenness. It doesn't excuse oppression. The narrative of redemption, culture of love, does not overlook the neighbor who needs our help. It doesn't overlook ourselves who need help from others. In a culture where being stoic and not open about your brokenness might be normal or even pre-rational for you, Having someone come and look at that and go, no, it's actually really helpful to be broken together so we can heal together. It means that we are to contribute to that culture for that higher gain. And that is to redeem the world through relationship, through love, and through engagement of the neighbor. And so it is deeply embedded in the Christian call for us, and this is the last thing that Jesus says in the parable, to go and do likewise. And I think that is so, so, so beautiful. There are things that I'm probably not aware of in which I don't look over oppression. I think it's normal. You know what I mean? I think it's okay to engage in certain food systems that, you know, put people worse off or to not even think about the suffering of those around me. If that's culturally normal for me, though, that needs to be questioned. And for those who are outside of me and able to look in and, and can be post-rational and have a look at something and pick it apart, they should be like, hey, that's not good enough. Let's create, let's contribute, let's be a part of a culture that loves and a culture that redeems. No matter where you've come from, no matter what you believe, no matter what your cultural norms are, Jesus is asking us to participate in those but transform them in a way so that they don't overlook love and redemption. And so that's the call for us. I always set a timer. I'm a rambler. And so at the time, I want to hear it go off. I'm like, all right, Jackson, it's time to stop rambling. So I will stop rambling. I don't really have anything else to say except to affirm that for you guys, engaging in culture will look differently. Some of us are parents. Some of us work in health. Others of us are artisans or writers, filmmakers, film producers. How we engage with culture and the subcultures that we're in are all going to look different. But within the Christian call, within the Christian framework, the call is the same. It's to go and do likewise. It's to not adopt those cultural norms that would forego helping others, being broken together, healing and restoring, taking care of a world that we've been entrusted with, taking care of each other and taking care of ourselves. Because in that is where redemption happens and love is the vehicle through which that happens. Whether we drink Forex Gold and do it, I don't think that matters as much.
What really does matter is how we are with one another. And, our, and what we're trying to do here is to foster a culture of how we are is, is one of loving and, and redeeming. And not just to hear, like this isn't all here. You, you guys have jobs and things and contributions to society that you spent way more time than you do here to go out and do that better and to engage that and to contribute to those cultures, to enrich them, make them better. Yeah, Kristen was telling me earlier, she was at a, 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 an event today where they were standing up for the world's health and for the betterment of the environment. We're not going to go create some kind of Christian utopia off here and point fingers at that and try, no, no, get in there, do it, be a part of it, join it, contribute it. Does that make sense? Like, that's beautiful and that's our call. 